Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us, Dominion Sonship Life, today. Thank you, Father. So what I have on my heart is something we've been on for actually a few weeks now. It's been talking about the love of God. And I, I was counting the weeks, and it's definitely more than seven weeks. It's going on ten weeks. We've been just building on the love of God. It has always looked different. One of the messages was that love opens our heart to understand. And we talked about love opening our hearts to understand the word and not just in terms of uh, reading it, but really living it out. So the understanding that we are after here is not just a, a mental ascent of yeah, I know that. And yes, I want to learn to quote that. It's more of a living out a security, a confidence in that which actually in who God is in us now. And um, another message was the triumphant love where we recognize that when we follow after love, Paul talks about pursuing after love. The Lord spoke to me that there at that moment, we're actually pursuing after triumph. We're pursuing after victory. And of course, we don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ to obtain the victory, but it's an assurance with him is victory because he is the victory within. Uh, another message was actually the one last week was be believing, be believing, be believing his love, be believing his word, be believing who he is, be believing, be believing that uh, he has you, <laughs> he has you. And so just I, I just kind of went over the different messages and just recognizing that it's been the building block to here, even starting back when we started first, like every message has been kind of building up to this moment. And today's is um, trust love. Trust love. And um, we identified, which, you know, we all know it, but we really, I think at least two messages we spent on God is love. And so when I say trust love, it's really trust God. But when we say trust God, at times it's almost like we put this mental engine, I gotta trust God, I gotta trust God, He's so, I gotta trust God. But when we say trust love, it's it, there's an assurance of him undertaking. There's an assurance of him undergirding. There's an assurance of love having picked you up now into his very presence. And in his presence is pure trust. So when we're in the presence of love, we're in the presence of one that we know loves us, it's easy to believe. It's easy to trust. And, um, and also we looked at that God is light. God is light. So when I say trust love, we can say trust God and really what I'm going to focus on today is trust light. Trust that the light that is in us is greater than the darkness without us. And so trusting love is trusting light. It's trusting that now because of his love, we've been translated into the kingdom of the son whom he loves, which is really the kingdom of of his beloved, the kingdom of love, which we know now we have, we with the saints are partakers of this kingdom of light. And that's Colossians. So actually I was going to start with, with Luke, but let's just go to Colossians since that's kind of how I, Colossians. Um, so it's about walking out the Christ life. Like that's where we've been majoring and focusing and, and growing our persuasion, growing our persuasion that the one that's within us wants to express himself through us. And without a recognition of the one that's within us, without a recognition and a, and a, a comprehension of the senses, the unveiling of our sight to recognize him within us, it, it's almost merely impossible for him to have full expression 
through us because there will always be doubt and unbelief that would stagnate or hold him back, which is amazing, which, which is amazing. Of course, with the, the examples of Jesus in his own hometown, doubt and unbelief would held him. Doubt and unbelief held him back. Doubt and unbelief deny a work of God in the midst of that community. And as, as profound as that sounds, we too now, through through hardened hearts very often, and why a hardened heart? A hardened heart is an unrenewed mind, is a mind that has not allowed the word to penetrate within what? The spirit of the word to penetrate within and to transform us into that pure love. It's to settle into he loves me, he has me, and he's working all things out for me for good as I yield to believing him. So oftentimes we say, got to yield to the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you yield to the Holy Spirit? The way I see it is the Holy Spirit leads us in truth. So the way I yield to him is I believe him. If the Spirit of the Lord leads us into truth, which it's not an if, he does. He is the Spirit of truth leading us into truth. What does it mean to yield to the Holy Spirit? It's really to yield to this walk of truth that he's doing through us. It's to be believing. It's to be believing and not doubting. And it's amazing that even as we say, yeah, I'm a believer. And and and, and in our quiet moments, when our quiet moments, even so quiet that we ourselves don't notice, the thoughts that go through often are not believing thoughts. And... Um, and I believe this is the message that we are after, is to transform, to transform our mindset said to be believing. And so here in Colossians, we recognize what he has done for us to allow us to be believing. Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't even be believing. We're just such stubborn people. There's no way we can believe without the Holy Spirit. So uh, one twelve, giving thanks to the Father, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers. He has ensured that we qualify. He has ensured that there will be no rejects. He has ensured that we can now be qualified to partake of divine nature, which is profound. What kind of a sacrifice was Jesus to allow sinful flesh, sinful nature to be to be removed from us, so to say the power of that sinful nature taken off us to now allow me to be partaker of divine flesh, of divine nature, of divine mind. What a, the power of that one sacrifice in Hebrews, you know, the writer of Hebrews talks about the power of the one sacrifice. The once and for all he came and died. And when once and for all put an end to that enmity that was between God and man by, by once and for all destroying that oppression that was on man, which was that hatred and that toil of sin over God's man. That it was so obliterated, that it was so taken on by the Christ man on on, on the cross, the Son of Man, that when he went down to the pit of hell and it was crushed and obliterated forever, that he has no more voice over our lives. He has no longer a dictate to which way I sway now because I will not sway under the dictate of the wicked one, but I'll sway under the movement of the Spirit. And when I have a recognition of the finality of his work, I can easily sway and be believing to the way he wants me to move. 
And it's not about a swaying of slipping and sliding all over. It's about a very calculated, precise movement of the Holy Spirit through each one of us because each one are fitted jointly in the body of Christ. And each one has a place to play in an assignment that God has given to us. I did a few, I think, teachings on the call of God. And, and again, so impacted me that each one of us is called by God. And really, the ultimate call is right here, to be partakers of divine nature. So he's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. I don't Sometimes, I, you know, I've meditated this verse a lot, and often we've heard a lot of teachings on it for sure, but I believe that the, the growth of revelation and understanding of, of this really um, would totally eliminate all the striving in the human mind of wanting to be accepted, of wanting to be uh, understood, of wanting to come across the right way, of wanting to justify one, say, one more time, let me tell you how I really felt about that. Let me tell you how really I was not wrong in this moment. And, and, and when we recognize that we have now been qualified to be partakers of this divine inheritance in this kingdom of light with the saints, and we are delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of always wanting to explain something and fully validated, having been forgiven completely, that is the ultimate freedom. That's the ultimate freedom of thought, to know I have been accepted. And it doesn't mean hereafter I live a sloppy life, and hereafter I don't give an account to my father, as, because this that, that he wrought for me, it was the father who did that, that's why we give thanks to the father that he sent his own son, because will never diminish the power of that one sacrifice. And so me being accountable to allow the Holy Spirit to lead me in the way of righteousness, me being accountable to um, abide in the Word and allow the Word to abide in me is really, it's the way I actually give thanks to the Father for what He's done for me so that now... I don't have to say, God, I need one more cross. <laughs> I need one more atoning sacrifice. God, I need one more um, token of your acceptance towards me because I really missed it royally on this one. And so trusting love is trusting a finished word because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so when we trust that finished work of love, then we are free to walk out in this full inheritance that we have in the saints. And it doesn't stop there. In verse 15, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And then 15, he is the image of the invisible God. So the one that brought forth deliverance to us is the one who's in the image of the invisible God and whose image are being transformed to now? The image of the one that brought deliverance, the image of the Son of God, the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're beholding him, even by the Spirit of the Lord, we're being transformed into the image of the one who brought for deliverance and so that I can now be a deliverance to another. So I can now carry this Christ nature.
nature, which I do have and I do care, but, but the, to be able to engage with this divine reality within me and to bring forth this divine deliverance to another. So no longer I'm expecting and, 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 and hoping for another level of deliverance, but here I am now so persuaded, giving thanks to the Father for this mighty deliverance of the one who resembled the Father, and now I'm made in the image of that one that resembles the Father. Isn't that amazing? And that's why he talked about our good works, that they're to give glory to God, that there would be a token, that they would represent a thanksgiving to God. So when they see our good works that are led of the Holy Spirit, we don't do them to gain acceptance. We do it from this place of already being accepted so that we can be believing. So now let's go to, actually, no, I'm not done there. I'm not done. So he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by, so keep that in mind that he's the image of the invisible God. And that I am now, I'll just, I have actually notes here on um, little sticky tags. You don't have to go. But for example, in, in 2 Corinthians, we know this verse 3.18. All of us with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. And also in Romans 8, it's pretty much the same. Paul writes in 29, For whom he foreknew, whom the Father foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So here in Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God that we're being conformed to. And, 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 and by him, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, where the thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And he's the head of the body the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so the transformation within through this, this persuasion that is a really a light persuasion because the entrance of his word is light. And so when the word of God illuminates our hearts to understand and to be transformed, we're being transformed into something pretty magnificent. We're being transformed into something that is pure dominion. We're being transformed into something that is out of this world for sure. We're being transformed into God himself because Jesus bears the image of his Father and we bear the image of the Son. And in their resemblance, we now have that resemblance. Isn't that amazing? In, in their fellowship, the Father and the Son, we now have been qualified to fellowship as saints of the light. As their light and as they are in the light, because the word says that God is light. And we know in Matthew 5 that we now are the light of the world. That in this light fellowship, we, what does it look like to fellowship in light? In 1 John John writes in 1 John, let's see, where in 1 John was it? 1 John 3, let's say from 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, 
and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, to take away our sins and in him, and in him where we are in him, in his body, because he is the head, we are in him, in him is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Here in in 1 John 2, I'm not saying that the qualification there is long as we're renewing our minds to who we are. That's not a license to sin. <laughs> this is this is what this transformation is accomplishing. That as we're beholding, light is driving away all the darkness. In 1 John again, 2, 5. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Whoever keeps his word, that, that word keeps his guard. Whoever guards his word, and we know the psalmist wrote about hiding the word of God in our hearts lest we sin against him. So whoever keeps this light, whoever keeps the revelation of the word, whoever allows the word to abide within you, really, who is the word? It's the Christ nature. It's Christ himself because he is the living word. And so when we allow the living Christ to, to grow within us, to expand the understanding of our senses, that we allow him to, to just take over everything within us, every moment of our heart, every moment of our thought, every moment of our movement that we can allow him to, to, to grow in this stature so that we have a greater resemblance of light and that we do not stumble because here in, in the, in nine, he who, who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And we know if we hate our brother, we're in darkness, and we do not know where we're going because darkness has blinded our eyes. And God spoke to me a few weeks ago that God came to rescue man from hatred, and that is darkness. That is darkness. Darkness is the hatred of Satan towards the man of God and that God has completely come through his son to destroy that, that we now be in the light and that we be transformed into his light. If we go back to, and now I want to go to Luke. In Luke 17, the words of Jesus. So the focus is always the Christ man within me. The focus is always not that I of myself can do anything to attain revelation. Not that I of myself can become so lofty minded to know I got it now. But this is a constant humbling before the Lord and his word to be teachable, to allow the word to teach us and to train us in this walk of righteousness. And it, it's again, it's a mind renewal that, uh, that is allowing the Christ nature within to have preeminence because he, he has preeminence over all things. But as long as we walk in our carnal ways and our carnal thoughts, then we are really not giving him any preeminence. We are really going back to what I started with. We are hindering a work of God because in, in, in 17, Jesus says, Luke 17, 21. Let's go to 20. And now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, when he was asked, it's a neat question. 
It's a neat question, really, because we, we hear it even now. When is the kingdom of God going to come? When is the kingdom age going to come? When, when is going to God take over? When is God going to do something? When is God's kingdom going to come on earth? When? And really that's what the, the, the disciples, they walked with a persuasion that, that the kingdom of God had come in Jesus to liberate them from the tyranny of man. And even they missed it. And so this is the question. So, so when it's like a, a legality, you know, the kingdom, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Jesus. He answered them and said, what a profound answer. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. The kingdom of God is not of the seen world. The kingdom of God is not of the felt world. The kingdom of God is of the secret place. <laughs> it's of the hidden place. <laughs> it doesn't come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. That's the mystery that Paul talks about being being called to preach the mystery of Christ, being called to preach the mysteries of God that have been up until that moment hidden. They were, they were kept hidden. And God found himself a man called Paul that went through a mighty transformation and died on that road of Damascus and became a brand new man. Man of a brand new creation. So yielded and so decidedly he died on that road. So decidedly he did not pick up anything of the old formal way. And he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he was a, a studied man and had a lofty position. He had an accolade with men. So much of a transformation he underwent through this bright light that shone about him. The living word had an encounter with the living word. And he knew the Torah. He knew the written word. He knew the written word. He could paraphrase. He could quote. He was... So under the ambition of what he felt was the written, what he believed was the written word, to actually persecute those of the way, those of the truth. And he has an encounter with the living Christ, the living word, and it so transformed his life. And he so, at that moment, recognized he's a new man. Behold, all those things and no more. Behold, all that is no more. Behold, I am not to know myself after that old man. Though it can still carry an accolade, and though it can still maybe serve food on my table, and though it can still kind of work with me where God's concerned, it's an affront to God. Because God is about a brand new order of life. He's about divine life. And so this divine life is within us. The kingdom of God is within us. And so we need to develop that kingdom of God. How do we develop it? As we allow the light of the word. We're trusting love. We're trusting the entry of his light to transform us into that glorified image of the Christ man. That we now be a deliverance to another. That we now can walk life unhindered by the Oh, I wonder what they're thinking now. I wonder what they're saying now. I wonder, uh, you know, and then start a life of pretense and a masquerade. And that's the thing with Paul is when he encountered the living, living Christ, the caliber of person that he was is amazing. But he let it all go. He just let it all go. And he said, I'm a brand new man. 
I'm yours now. And the amazing thing is he didn't confer with flesh and blood, but he went to Arabia. <laughs> he, he put himself to the side and said, I want to know you, God. Teach me. And that's where the mysteries are being unveiled. The mystery of Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery of the Christ, man. That no longer I'm to be subject by this duality of natures that we sometimes think we battle. Like, I want to do good, but I'm not doing good. And, and whenever, you know, I step to do good, it's always wrong being done. That's in Romans 7. And Paul says, oh, thank God, Christ has delivered me from that moment of duality and battling of moral rightness versus moral not rightness and yet when we are in Christ we're led by a brand new law the law of Christ the law of the spirit which is the law of life and that law of life has set me free from death and condemnation and anything that's of the law realm and so we can walk as he walked and so we can think as he thinks. And so we can see as he sees because we're no longer after the earthly kingdom of observation, but we're after a heavenly kingdom. We're after a kingdom that's within us. We're after a moment of existence that is divine and it's here on earth now until the trumpet sounds or should we go by the way of the grave. There is a moment of God that we are living even now and I believe it's just the grandest moment of, of all eternity. We've been saved for this moment, for this time, for the mighty unveiling of this divine nature. Divine nature, what does it look like to walk earth totally, fully persuaded by this persuasion of Christ in me? Fully persuaded that nothing from the outside can defile me. Nothing from the outside. And that was the question that the, another legal question. Let's, let's, let's trap him in this one because we're so smart. The, the religious mind always thinks they're very smart. And want to entrap a spirit man, and it's never possible. <laughs> Christ man is a spirit man, not possible. So here was that moment of entrapment. Like this one, when is the kingdom of God going to come, Jesus? The other one was like, no. Why, why do your disciples don't wash? Why do they go about being dirty? Dirty. And what did he say? Where was that? What did he say? Mark 7, I believe, yeah. About defilement from inside. Okay, let's go Mark 7, 5 for context. Uh, the Pharisees describes and asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders but eat bread with unwashed hands? Why, why are they unclean? Why are they breaking uh, this ritual? Why are they not clean? And what did he say to them? He quoted Isaiah, called them hypocrites. That with their, with their words, that with their lips, they're really close to God, but their hearts are so far removed from God. We can sound right to another, but God knows the location of our hearts. Verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God. Where is the commandment of God? It's hidden in our heart, right? The commandment of God is, the word of God is hidden in our heart. We're epistles. Paul talks about being being epistles and that we the, the law of Christ is written in our hearts. And so it's from the heart, the life of my life comes from my heart. So that's why here he said, you lay aside the commandment of God, but you hold the tradition of men, which are always outward appearance. It's always, what can I do? One more good thing. I, I indeed, I surely should be able to do one more good thing for the master. And he says, washing the pitchers and the cups and many 
other such things you do. And verse 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down. Handed down. They still love the tradition. They've handed them down. <laughs> down the generation lines. This is what you do. It says many such things you do. And then further down in 15, he says, there is nothing. There is nothing. Nothing. Because the kingdom is not an observation. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, out of the heart, these are the things that defile the man. In 23 again, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so it's all to do with internal life. It's all to do with the meditation of my heart. It is really only what God can see within. And so the life that we live on earth is unto God. The life that we live here on earth is not unto man. <laughs> so freeing. The life that we live on earth is unto God. And that's why the callings of God are without repentance. Because they are of the eternal. They are of the unchanging nature of God. They are of the kingdom of God. They are of those things that are not of the natural world, that are perishable. Everything in the natural is perishable. Everything in the natural is passing away. But that of God, that which is of God within us, this Christ nature, is an eternal nature. And only from this eternal nature can we release life. Only from this eternal nature can we be a blessing to another. Only from this eternal nature can we minister Christ to another. Only through the persuasion of who thou lives in me are we uh, allowing God to use us. Only through the persuasion that we call faith. And that's why faith is of the unseen. Faith is of the unseen. Here in um, Hebrews 11, how profound of a verse. We actually pretty much the last few weeks have been reading over actually a few, more than two few weeks. We've been reading this Hebrews 11, 1, faith is a substance. Faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen because they are of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not of observation. And so faith is of the kingdom of God, which we, we've looked in the past. We've studied on faith being a, it's amazing. God is just really flipping a lot of things around here, um, solidifying that which we know is of him. Faith is a gift from God that he has given to us. The faith of the son of God lives inside of us. And through that faith, Faith now, the Christ man can work out these divine miracles. The Christ man within, through this faith expression, can manifest himself on earth. And so faith is not of the seen, but is of things that are not seen. It is the evidence of things not seen because it's based on a persuasion of, I know I got it. I know I got it. I know I got it. And you know, we, it's so quick to say, I know who I am and, ah, I want to know who I am. I, I want to know that I'm a child of light. I want to know that, that I'm his light on earth. I want to know who I truly am, that I am now made in his image and that he bears the image of his father, that all things were made for him, that all things are a subject to him, that he has the preeminence over all things and, and in all of it, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm not under it. 
I'm not under the moment. I'm not under a, 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 another walking through moment. Yes, we're walking through many moments, but all these moments are there that we'll trump over them. All those moments are there for us to step over them and to realize, ah, oh, I'm a child of light. Ha, ah, darkness fleet from me. Ah, glory to God. I, I spoke that and it budged. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the Most High God. I bear the very image of the Father through the Son. I bear the very expression of divine life that Jesus walked this earth. That whosoever touched were healed. They touched eternity. They touched by faith. That woman touched eternity with the issue of blood. The leper, he saw divine life walk by. Son of David, have mercy on me. Eternal life. Word of life. Uh, John calls him in First John, Jesus, John calls him that he is the word of life. Have mercy on me. And that's what he did. He came to show mercy. It's what when I say trust love, we trust a finished, completed work of, I'm one with him. <laughs> I'm one with my father. There's no more separation. And as we are growing in the revelation and the mind renewal of this divine nature within us, there is that which separates us in our thoughts from God is the carnal mindset. So the more we cultivate a time in the Word, the more we cultivate time with the Holy Spirit in prayer, the more we cultivate times with our Father, we're undergoing a transformation. And less and less is there a, a wedge in our mind between us and God, where we see God over there and me over here. When God is now here, all-consuming fire in here, all-consuming life in here, all-consuming light in here, all-consuming hope in here. And so when I pray to the Father, mercy, I say, oh, Father, thank you for your mercy. You live in me. You never leave me nor forsake me. You're my God forever. And I'm yours forever. And through that finality of a sacrifice, we have now begotten, we, he, we now have become children of God, begotten by our heavenly Father, snatched out of this kingdom of darkness, so that that would not have an insinuation to form a thought process. We're just saying, no, nope. I'm not of that thought process. I'm not of that manner of living anymore. No. I'm of the Christ nature now. And in the Christ nature is only life. In the Christ nature is only hope. In the Christ nature is only perfect stability. In the Christ nature is perfect understanding. In the Christ nature is perfect wisdom. And so now I know which way I'll go. Because he ever leads me. He ever leads me. I have an unction from the Holy One within me. Not without me. 
Show yourself, God. Show yourself one more time, God. Show yourself one more time. And, and I think there are moments where our hearts really hunger for that revelation, I'd say, and and and, and we, we put words that, that kind of want to communicate to us. And what we're really saying is unveil yourself in me, Lord. Unveil this divine nature within me, Father. Unveil yourself in me, Father. I choose to glean from this word. I choose to pick up this cross daily. Because this is the ultimate crucifixion to my flesh. How do you pick up the cross? You pick up the word. Profound statement. Because the word is a hammer to the heart places in our hearts. The word is living life and a light illuminated to every carnal moment of, of existence. And when light comes in, darkness flees. So it's constantly chasing death out. It's constantly chasing shadows out. It's constantly chasing the entrance of this divine life is chasing everything that has been robbing us through a wrong understanding. A wrong understanding. I want to find the living epistle ones because I do have a ribbon there, or I do have a little marker there, or I do have something there, and I know exactly where it is. It's in the Corinthians, I know it. It's Paul's writing there. Yes, it is 2 Corinthians 3. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need a, a, some others let epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Cre clearly, you are an epistle. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. That's the most beautiful statement. Ministered by us, written, I love this, written not with ink, but by the Spirit. Written, isn't it amazing that the Christ nature within us is written by the Spirit? That the Father God has created His divine nature within us. That we've been shaped within us by living words. By God himself, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. That he has written this divine nature, he's placed himself in me through this new birth, that I can now ah, gain an understanding of him, because I would have never had an understanding of him if his nature was not in me. And that's when the Old Testament, there was always a pursuit towards God. There was always an external demonstration of God because he could never be perceived by the eyes of my spirit. And that's why the Pharisees asked a very valid question given that they were part of the Old Testament and the experience was very external. You know the movement on the mulberry tree? Gideon? I mean, every experience, you know, the breaking of those spots with the light, the pictures. I mean, a, a very external moment. But now in Christ, it's a very internal moment. I love that. 
Now in Christ, the kingdom of God is not out there, but now it's in me and it's been written by the living God, by the living God on my heart. And then he says, that's why now we have sufficiency and the sufficiencies of God because the one that wrote in me is the one that's going to do the work through me. And that's what uh, Paul writes in Philippians. That he now in me, he does the work. He now in me does the work for me to do according to his will and his pleasure. Just like Jesus said, just like Jesus, just like Jesus, it's not I, it's the Father in me, he does the works. It's the Father in me. He does the works. I'll read the Philippians verse here. Yeah. Uh, 2.13, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. Where does he work? Where does God work? He works in me. You know why? Because he's after your mind being renewed. And when your mind's renewed now, when you move, he's moving. Because he's working in me both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What's his good pleasure? That all men should know him. What's his good pleasure? There would be a ministry of reconciliation to another. What's his good pleasure? That would testify and magnify our Heavenly Father here on earth. What's his good pleasure? That we live by faith, because the just shall live by faith. What's his good pleasure? That we demonstrate the kingdom of God that's within us on the outside. That's his good pleasure. The old man shall see him through us. Back to 2 Corinthians 5, actually 4. For we have such trust through Christ toward God. I said, trust love. And I said, trust light and trust the finished work because our trust is through Christ towards God, because God so loved the world, he sent his son. So when I look at that finished work of Calvary, it produces trust in my heart. If he did not spare his own son, how much more would he not? Would his son give me everything? So my trust towards God is through Christ. My trust towards God is through this Christ nature, I can say, where faith resides. The faith of the Son of God resides within us. And so from here is pure trust towards God. It's of the heart where his law is written, where his love is written, where his love has been demonstrated to us. And so, five, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything. Not sufficient of ourselves. There's no sufficiency of myself to do anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. <laughs> That's pretty astounding, actually. <laughs> Every moment I wake up, my strength is God's strength within me. My hope is God's hope, eternal life within me. My sufficiency is of God who also made us sufficient as ministers of this new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so when he says that we epistles, epistles written by the Spirit of God in our hearts, the Spirit is for life. It's not for death. The letter kills. And that's what motivated Paul, Saul, on that road to Damascus, to kill. 
The letter kills. Legalism kills. But the spirit life is the ultimate freedom of expression of divine life on earth. So if we tie, this is the same thought that Paul's writing from what we just read, that we're your epistles, your epistles ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on your, on your hearts, on flesh. And then he says now he has enabled us to, he has uh, qualified us to be ministers, sufficient as ministers of this new covenant of the broken body and the blood that was shed, that we are now ministers of that. New covenant. Ah, what is that? That's what Paul wrote in Colossians. Give thanks to God who now has delivered you out of here and has placed you in the kingdom of light to be partakers of divine nature, the saints of light. He has made me an able minister of a new covenant to handle the broken body and to drink the blood. That I be a disciple of his. That's just astounding. This qualified me to be a minister of a new covenant, which is a life-giving covenant. It's a life-giving covenant. And so when we speak, our words are to impart life. Our words are to impart life. Our words are not words of condemnation and the ministry of death, but our words are ministry of life. Because now, here in verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious than, of course, what he's referring there, the law of Moses. The law of Moses, of the letter that kills. Of the letter that kills. And so from that theme there, he moves to the verses down that I just read earlier on. That nevertheless, in 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It's in the turning towards the Lord, and we know He is in us. It is the way I've always seen it for myself is when I turn into the Christ nature. When I turn back to who I truly am, when I turn into the Christ man, the veils of religiosity, the veils of pretense, the veils of, of God, one more drink, God, one more moment of an encounter with you, God, to, oh, I've already encountered you. How already have you. And now I'm living the encounter. Now I can be an encounter for someone else. And so when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Because we are of the Spirit that gives life. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in the mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. And that is really our desire is this divine transformation within. That the kingdom of God within us be made manifest through us. That we as believers are not anymore the ones that are really crying out to God per se. But we are now the ones that are answering the cry of another. And that where he sends us, it's what we do. We've been made able ministers of a new covenant. And when I say trust love, it's trust this finished work. That we have already been qualified. That we have already been made brand new. That we have 
already been transferred into light and we are now the very light of the world. And that, that's really the confidence of the hour. That we cannot observe anything on the outside to validate an internal moment that we already persuaded by. And that's the triumph and that's the victory, even our faith. That, that which I believe, I am. And that which he says, I am. And that who he is in me is I am. Amen. I think we're finished here.